Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Imagine being acquired by Sony, Disney, or Atari. Now imagine being acquired by all three, all within a 40-year career. My next guest is David Perry, and he is one of the most well-known names in the gaming industry. And if you're into video games, it's likely you've played something that he's built. His forward-thinking approach and constant innovation has ensured his games have always achieved massive success. Yet, it's David's foresight and ability to understand trends in technology and human behavior that will ensure David remains a thought leader in this space. David is now the CEO of Caro, an e-commerce partnership network with over 30,000 Shopify brands, and he shares a bunch of insights throughout our chat, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. This is David Perry. David, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I know we were just sort of talking off air there for a second there, but, um, you know, when I looked at your profile and uh, and our team was sort of checking you out before we invited you, I I just, I saw your background in gaming and I have to say, I got a little bit excited. Um, you know, as, as somebody who currently subscribes to the PlayStation Network and all these other things, I thought, yes, this is a man I think I'll have a bit, a bit in common with. <laughs> Yeah, no, the game industry is just the best. Uh, um, whenever I um, started, there were just so few people in the space. And so every time I'd meet someone, it's like, oh, I've never met someone from the game industry before. And it's totally different now. It's like so many, there's, there's just about every university in the world has some kind of village, or sorry, video game uh, uh, course for them. So I think it's great um, yeah. to see the, you know, how it's been embraced. It's a real career. And, um, you know, in a way, it's been most of my career. So I, I was in the game industry yeah. from black and white <laughs> through color <laughs> to, to 3D, right? So I got to watch all yeah. the changes. It's great. That's it is awesome. And 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 it's not just it's not just about playing games, right? I mean, this is this is big business these days. And I I heard some interesting stats the other day that said the gaming industry is now bigger than the movie and music industry combined. Um yeah. and I thought that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's actually a little more complicated because the industry is so big because it actually um, is a combination of the hardware and the software. And so people do outlay and buy new consoles and then they buy all the games to, pe to, to play. And now they're paying subscriptions um, on, on those devices. And they're also constantly getting teased into buying the, do you want the ultra deluxe or the ultra ultra deluxe version of the game? <laughs> and somehow those prices just keep going up and up and up. 
and um and and then there's in-game items oh do you want to get you know this upgrade and that do you like walking or would you like to buy a horse that kind of stuff yeah and, and so there's 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 a lot of money spent in games and um i think in a way we're, we keep increasing the size of the industry getting more and more people to play there's a lot of people that don't know they play video games they they they're playing something and they they don't really set, think I'm a video game player, you know, because they're playing solitaire or something like that. But they are actually playing yeah. video games. And um, the mission we were on really was to get everybody. So at some point, um, I think family gaming will become, you know, uh, more than it is today. Um, and 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 you know that that sort of stuff. Just the, the the concept is to make games easier and balanced, so grandpa can play the little kid. And how great would it be if grandpa is is really dangerous in this game right because because he's got a shot <laughs> and that that's sort of intelligent auto balancing that the games need to like if if you're playing pong and and grandpa keeps losing his bat gets bigger and bigger until it works out and suddenly yeah, you know, yeah. grandpa's on your case right and that's that's a kind of a fun uh, a fun idea so i think i think the game industry still has lots of room left to go yeah, for sure. Well, look, I can, I can certainly vouch for the fact that as a busy guy, you know, when I'm playing Red Dead with my kids and it says, hey, wouldn't you like to just spend a few bucks and you can have some better guns and better horses and better things and you can catch up to the kids? I'm like, for a few bucks to help take a couple of extra shots there, I'm, I'm in, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't have time to build my character. So, uh, so I, I definitely get that. And you know, it's funny, funny you talk about family family engagement too because even at a very, very basic level, my entire family is playing Wordle and everybody's sharing their results on a WhatsApp group, right? And so, I, in a sense, we're still all playing together. Yeah, and, and they don't think they're gamers, usually the Wordle players. Um, there's another one, Scrabble with Friends, um, that, that, yes. uh, that people play. And um, again, the, you know, my mother's playing that and she's 80 and she thinks it's the best thing ever. So... Um, no, yeah. I don't think we'll ever get her on Call of Duty or Mortal Kombat, but I think uh, I think Wordle and those kind of things, um, it gives so much entertainment. It's great. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, I, I'm still holding out hope. My, my sons are working on my wife to get her to come and play Fortnite, um, but we recently bought a, a steering wheel and pedal rig to play Formula One, and literally my wife, after watching it set up for a couple of weeks, she came by me the other day and said, no, I think I actually want to have a go at that. <laughs> so, uh, so slowly, we're trying to find the little weak spots where we can get in there and convince her to come and play. So, uh, so I'm convinced we'll get there in the end. <laughs> yeah, that happened. My dad watched me making games for years, and he really wasn't that interested in playing games. And then one day, he walked by, and he goes, "That sounds like a real soccer game." And I go, "Yeah, they take recorders to the stadium, and it's actually the sounds." And he's like that looks like a real soccer game because he's looking at the players and, and and I'm like, yeah, they actually scan the players and they take pictures and they try to get as close as possible to the real people. And he's like, can yeah. I have a go? And, and that was the first time ever, right? You know, here's the controller. Um, it turned yeah. out a little too hard for him, like too much to, you know, press these two buttons to slide and these two buttons to tackle and these, and, and it, it really just needed to yeah. be, um, you know, like FIFA has their two button mode now um I, I wish they just had it really really simple for him but ultimately it was um it, it i think the games at some point draw people in and that's that's a great a great thing when they when something they love or they're into 
um, the, you know, they like snowboarding and then there's a snowboarding game that they can actually play. Then suddenly they're actually interested in experiencing that. So at some point yeah. we'll get them all. That's the goal. We'll get them all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so at the risk of asking a really obvious question, I mean, how did you get into this space and was there a particular point where you kind of knew the gaming industry was your career, your business life? Yeah, um, the way it works, uh, I grew up in Northern Ireland, and um, it's very simple there. There's almost a requirement from your family that you can be whoever you want to be and do anything that you want to do in life, as long as you become a doctor or an attorney first. <laughs> if you become a doctor or a lawyer first, they're happy. Um, and that wasn't really that interesting to me. Um, and I wanted to be a pilot. And so um, I, the, the, what I wanted was to fly Concorde because Concorde was the supersonic jet that British Airways had that was so incredible. And I really wanted to be a pilot for that thing. And I was studying pilots books and all the rest of it. Um, what you can't tell looking at my video is that I'm six foot eight inches tall. And so my mother wow. was working for British Airways and she got me the chance to sit in the cockpit. And when you're six foot eight, you can't sit in the cockpit. <laughs> 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 so it destroyed my dreams like whoever whoever designed concord you know thanks a lot um and so it was it was awful and super depressing walking back down the stairs <laughs> oh man you know, maybe you should have taken a photo though and shared it with the uh all the uh the passengers in in economy class right say hey it's not just you right it's the pilots too <laughs> it's the pilots too so um <laughs> So gaming um, came along by accident. So I, I you know, we have a, a joke in, in Ireland that it only rained twice this week, once for three days and once for four days. And, um, <laughs> and, and so doing anything indoors is a good idea. And I started making very simple video games um, on the Sinclair ZX81. And that thing uh, was so basic. It was just like little black blobs um and beeps and so there was no artist required no you know music required and um and i, I just started making games on it i mean some of the games you'd literally be the letter a because <laughs> it looks like it has, has legs on it um but okay. by making those um by making those games i didn't realize you could actually make money from the game industry and so i i was getting published in magazines and ultimately i i did uh, games and books and i was getting these checks and the checks allowed me to buy unlimited amounts of candy, which got me very excited. And, um, and, and, uh, and then I'm like, well, damn, I mean, I could do this all night. And so that's what I did. I just be typing and typing and typing. And, um, and suddenly, you know, I was in the game industry, but the, the, the problem is that Northern Ireland was not the epicenter of the video game world. Um, and so I thought it was England. So I, I ended up getting a job offer to move to London and, um, and I started working there. And, and, and clearly it was, you know, there was more going on than there was at the time in Belfast, but, um, but the real opportunity was in California. And so I, I made, I, I realized quite a big thing, and this would be, you know, a business thing that I think I learned at the time, which I learned really quickly was branding matters. So, um, you know, if I make a game called Jumpy Boy, no one cares, but, but when you make the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you have a number one hit in your hands. And so I, I was given the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was in England, and uh, the game went straight to number one. And that 
sort of changed my career overnight. Um, suddenly, you know, people want to work with you. And so yeah. then, then, then I, I go back to making other games that I want to make. And then, uh, and then you realize, hmm, you know, making these, these licensed games makes a real difference. So I ended up getting the Terminator from uh, James Cameron's uh, company. Um, and the Terminator was incredible. And, you know, again, yeah. you know, super, everyone was super interested. Um, and, and then I ended up uh, moving to America because the company that was publishing it was Virgin Games, you know, Richard Branson's company. Um, he actually had a video game component. And, um, and they, they made me a, a hard to refuse offer. Imagine you're sitting in your house in a little, in the suburbs of, of England, um, thinking to yourself, is this, is this the way the story ends, right? I'm in this little place by a train station in England going, is this it? Or is there going to be any more? And then you get a call saying, David, we want you to come to America, get on a plane. Uh, we'll, we'll cover everything, whatever, you know, we'll get you an apartment, a car, we'll pay your royalties, whatever you make, we'll pay you more, um, come to California. So by getting on the plane, it was so great. Cause I, it was like a whole new adventure. It's like, uh, you know, yeah. like a real interactive adventure. And I arrived in America and, um, they had us make a game for McDonald's and McDonald's, um, McDonald's wanted a video game, but they, they didn't quite know what they wanted. So we just went ahead and made a game that we thought was really cool. And they, um, they hated it. So the McDonald's executives were like, what is this? Where's Ronald McDonald? And we're like, no, <laughs> nobody likes Ronald McDonald. So, so, so it turned into this whole thing. Um, and we ended up publishing the game anyway. And it won game of the year, graphics of the year, um, audio of the year. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, and so, <laughs> That, that left me in a weird position. What do you do? Do you stay in America? Do you go back to England? And, uh, and they said, would you like to continue? Um, we'd like you to make the game Aladdin for Disney. And, um, oh, wow. and Aladdin was, uh, for me, a career changer because um, Disney, this was in the days of Jeffrey Katzenberg um, when he was running the studios. And, and this guy basically just said, what, what do you need? Like, what does your team need to make this awesome? And the answer was, um, can we have Disney feature animation in Florida hand draw every animation for us? Um, you know, the people who do Aladdin and, yeah. and, and they said, sure. What else do you need? <laughs> that, wait, what? No, um, I mean, you know how much each drawing costs, you know, at Disney, like they, they sell all those cells. Um, but they did it. Um, and the result was very unfair for animators in the video game industry because we had Disney in our corner and the game obviously yeah. did very well. And so um, that was really, you can see how the path goes, right? Then, then we're like, well, we'll go make some, some of our own games, um, which, which do fine. Like they do fine, and, but they're not, they're not, you don't get the, I, I find with branding when kids walk in a store and they, they see something they recognize, it's like magnetically pulls their hand towards it. Um, yes. And so if you have the Stranger Things game, that's amazing. If you have the, I don't know, strange thing game <laughs> no one cares right you just get no interest um but uh, uh that that's what happens is that the hands reach out and they, and they buy those products and so um the the last one i did that i would say was notable um was probably the matrix um i i had i had been asked by the the directors to come and meet um and 
I, at the time we were very busy. So we had multiple projects in play and, and they sent me this script and said, there's this new movie starring Keanu Reeves. And, and, um, at the time I didn't really know what the matrix was, you know, that whole, <laughs> you have to work out what the matrix is. I don't know what the matrix <laughs> is. And, and, and so I went to Matt with them and they showed me this animation of a burning fire, um, with a camera that went around it. And, and I, I just didn't see that that was going to be, you know, Keanu bending over backwards and avoiding bullets. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. Um, but the net net was, I turned it down. And so, um, you know, that was probably the worst decision of my entire career. Um, and you can just imagine, I then go and see the matrix with my wife in the theater yeah. and, and, and she's like, you turned this down. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> I know. And I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. This movie's incredible. And it was the worst, stupidest thing. But anyway, then I get a call from Joel Silver's office who produced the movie. And, and they say, look, we're going to do another one. And it's going to be called Matrix Reloaded. Would you like to, to work with us on the second one? And, and you can just imagine what happened then. I got a, almost, almost got a speeding ticket driving to his office. Um, so I could get my hands on this thing. And, and, and if anything, that was peak matrix. So it was almost better because that's when the excitement was at its peak. Um, people were yeah. so excited to, to see more of that universe. And, um, and that's when we made our game. And what happened was that the directors actually made an hour of extra footage for our game. And, and in the video game industry, you can't afford to make an hour of matrix level, you know, Hollywood level footage like that. You just don't do it. Um, and so for them to sort of the directors to decide, no, no, we're going to do that and just give it to you as part of your, as part of the package, um, was incredible. And so, um, that, that was a great experience. And then we went back. So the, the, the problem was that they, they wanted to tell the story differently. So what they did is they made it so you could, um, you could experience the game, the movie and the game in, in different ways. So if I'm sitting in a movie theater, to my left is somebody watching the movie, but I've played the video game. Um, there's a part where Morpheus falls off a truck. He's fighting an agent on a truck on the freeway and he falls off onto the hood of a car. If, if for this person in the theater, I guess the car was there. For me, I got the car there. The, getting that car there was a nightmare, but I, I saved Morpheus. Right. And, and that, and that's an interesting <laughs> idea. I like the idea of giving gamers a different movie experience than, than just a normal movie viewer. Um, and that was really the concept behind that, that game. But the problem was you didn't play as Neo. And this was, um, this was something that the gamers weren't thrilled about. They're like, we'd like to be Neo please. So we did a second game called the path of Neo. And on that one, you actually got to play him and, uh, and then, then all was well. Um, but, but that was kind of a fun, um, you wouldn't believe the stuff that happens when you make a video game like that. I, I got a call. Uh, Michael Jackson would like to play uh, the Matrix before you launch it. Would you would you be willing to do that? Uh, and I'm like, of course. And then they're like, well, he's in Neverland. Can you drive up like right now? <laughs> and so, so you go, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, another speeding ticket. <laughs> yeah, so that was fascinating. Um, you know, he ended up, uh, I, I spent quite a bit of time with him and he ended up saying, let's make a game together. And, um, I, cause he had his own idea for his own video game. And, and that's really yep. the, that's where the, the game industry I think is, is interesting because every celebrity, every sports star, the, the CEO of just about every major company has at this point growing up 
and with with video games and they understand how important it is or they have kids and they understand they they watch their kids play and they realize this is a real thing i need to take seriously so and there's lots of life lessons from games too to do with um how to get people um how to entertain people how to keep people um entertained to get them to stick to to play and 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 don't get up and leave you know get them to actually really really enjoy it and um i i even wrote a book at one point on on game design it's 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 out of print now but you can probably get it on ebay um but that book um was basically designed to try to help um to help designers understand what is causing that like and 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 now that i'm in more in the business world i'm sort of thinking how can i use these things that we've learned to uh to, to create higher engagement for um for customers yeah it's, it's that's fascinating david i mean I, I just love it i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for so many of these discussions it just would have been amazing and i think when you've seen some of these games too it uh just makes it that much more real um i'm, I'm curious i'm curious i um you know, we're talking about, um, you know, skills that are learned and things like that. I mean, I, one of the things that I certainly see, and I see it with my own kids now, and I am I jump on, I play PlayStation with my kids and do all that sort of stuff, is is that games can teach you some real-world skills beyond eye-hand coordination. It's some real problem-solving things in games, right? And And I guess the good part about it is that, okay, I failed, I didn't die and I didn't lose a whole bunch of money. It's not like I went and invested my life savings in a business that just failed. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's small micro lessons that can be learned, um, which I find fascinating. Um, it's, it sort of starts to, we start to see, in my mind anyway, the idea of video games or gamification being a much broader tool for society. I don't know, have you got any thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I, I narrowed it down. What makes a good video game? I narrowed it down to three things, which is skill, risk, and strategy. Um, if all three have to be present all the time for you to stay engaged, um, skill means that while you're playing something, you get better. And um, imagine every time you play, you get worse. Um, you would, you'd, you, it wouldn't take long for you to go, I'm done. This, or, or imagine the game kind of cheats a bit and just kills you randomly. You know, like a bullet comes flying out of nowhere and just kills you. That's not fun. Um, so ultimately, um, skill means I should feel like I'm growing while playing this game. And then, and then risk is like very much why casinos exist in this world is, you know, the more risk, the more reward. It, it really works in games too. So if I, if I make a run for it and I survive, I feel really good about it. Um, and, or if I make it to that, that ammo box that I'm trying to get to, and now it's payback time because I made it, it's really quite <laughs> thrilling. Um, and so risk is good. And then the third one is strategy. Strategy is actually, I think, more important than ever because there's a, there's a thing that some game designers do where they, they want you to just play their story and nothing else, meaning you can't, that door's locked because I don't want you to look in that room. And I, I don't want you, in fact, you can't leave any, you can't do anything. You have to just follow my path, you know, and, and it's called a game that's on rails. And if you're on rails, it's kind of like you're, um, you're going to Universal Studios or Disneyland and you're sitting in a little, a little tram and they're just, they're showing you the park but you can't go explore it that that's to me that's not that's not the idea of what video games really should be and, and so 
I think it's important that you're able to get out there um, and and try things. So as you do that, then you get the chance to invoke strategy. And strategy means I tried this, didn't work. Tried this, didn't work. But I got more ideas. If there if there if if there is no room for ideas, then uh, you know, like because you're on rails, then then strategy just dies. And 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 the the overall, you start blaming the game for things, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. If 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 you can. I think one of the great examples is the game uh, Tetris because it's so simple. Um, what worked so well? It's one of the most played video games in history. And um, when when you make a mistake, you, you're like, oh, and it all falls apart. And you immediately go, oh, I'm going to do it differently next time. And you start, you you come up with, some, I'm going to start pushing everything to the right. I'm going to do everything to the left. Or you come up with some other strategy, and then you try again, yeah. and and uh, and that makes it really fun. So. I think these things in in real life um, really matter as well. Um, you know, if you want people to feel engaged with the thing that you're creating. Um, but mm -hmm. the other thing which I'm realizing now is just how impatient everybody's becoming, and so um, it's it's quite shocking. And I, I say that: Do you think people are going to get? Um, you know, are they going to get more patient or less uh, patient? And um, you know. If they get less patient, um, um, they, uh, you know, and the patience level gets insane. What are we going to get it down to, like a second? You know, and I swear it's getting, it's getting there. I actually watch kids using TikTok, and and you can see there's just this. It's it entertaining me now. <laughs> you know, it's been three seconds. Yeah. You better get on with it. And, and they get actually yeah. annoyed if the if the, you know, if the joke is arrives at 30 seconds or something because it's just far too long um you're torturing them at that point so this is yeah. this is the real world this is the world that you you know we're in now and i don't think it's going to go the opposite direction and start going back to you know it's a bit like when we had the internet we could type blogs and then twitter came along and said please don't type blogs just keep it keep it really brief um and, and then you wonder why that worked well because they made it easier and i, I think and then instagram really focused on photos but i i think the i think the uh the idea of video is much more engaging so video is the way to go um but keep it really brief and so this is this is all part of the stuff you have to pay attention to because if fighting it is is a real mistake you know like hey i'm just going to write this big long article and have everyone come and i'm going to get them to move on the internet like leave tiktok and come to my website and read this big long long boring article that i wrote um you know, that's not a good strategy in, in 2022, <laughs> 2023. Um, and so I think it's kind of fun uh, to see how fast things continue to evolve. And I think gaming's the same. I don't think gaming has at all reached its peak yet. Um, I still think there's huge opportunity for growth there. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I totally agree. I think the, the the target market's much bigger. As you say, we've all kind of now grown up with these things, but... So the audience is bigger, but the the application of gaming, I think, is is so much broader too. Um, you know that 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 whole attention thing you talked about there. It's it's funny. I and I, I don't obviously don't want to go into a big deep political debate here, but I just I think we've seen it over the last however many years now. Like people's desire to have a short answer for everything is actually undermining some of 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 our broader society and political system i think even it's uh you know there are actually actually one of, one of my favorite quotes is uh you know george bernard shaw said for every complex problem there's a simple answer that's wrong 
And um, <laughs> and I think there's I love that. <laughs> too, yeah, too often we're going for the simple answer and it's and it's why you see so many people coming out and, and as long as they say it with confidence, well, it must be real, right? Oh, well, the answer is this. Well, actually, you're talking about a multidimensional problem that's super layered with com- other complex issues and there is no actual right answer. It's, you know, it's going to be the best of a bunch of wrong answers, really. That's probably the solution we have to take with stuff. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much down that path, but I'm I, I am curious a- about how we can use gaming in a really positive way. And I, one of the things I'm seeing a little bit, and it's still a little bit tinky and kind of cheesy in some ways, but but this idea of using gamification in our regular businesses. Um, and I'll give you an example. Like I, I noticed with our CRM when we first subscribed to it, they're doing stuff like, you know, animations and stuff when you win a deal or something positive happens. And it's like, yeah, okay. I see where you're going here. Okay, well, now we're going to track the salespeople. You know, we back in my old days of doing sales, we had a whiteboard, right? And they put results up and it was a way of an analog way of us gamifying our work and um, having some sense of competition. And of course, we can lean on tech now for all of that stuff. But are you seeing much more of the traditional business world starting to use these technology, using technology and these techniques to to try to, further their business, improve productivity, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, I'm seeing all kinds of versions of that. So there's some people um, that will say they'll come and help you with gamification, but that it turns out that they will just talk a lot of babble and uh, it, they, they're not they're not really, they don't really have a history of making games um, so that this is just some theories they have. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. Um, uh, then uh, I've seen some very basic ideas i was um at a, a testing uh, well, it wasn't testing it was support so microsoft and electronic arts and people use a company to do support and it turns out that the support people are looking while they're on the phone they're looking at a big screen uh, like a projected image of um of a track and around the track are their gifts like ipads and all that kind of stuff and as they as they're handling the calls they're seeing who gets to the ipad next and that's um, that can be evil because that means now they won't eat lunch and they can't pee, right? Because because they're they're almost there, and um, and that's how games can be used for evil, right there. Um, but overall, I think um, there there is interesting psychology in it, which you have to be careful with. Is if you over if you imagine the game keeps telling you or or the the thing that you've invented keeps trying to pat you on the head, you start it starts to feel fake right you don't really deserve that it's like saying here you go here's another certificate and here's another certificate and here's another certificate and confetti and you're like but i didn't really do very much here that's very interesting is you have to it has to the reward has to be commensurate to what you did and 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 it has to be real because then it means something to you right so when you because then you know you deserve it in a way, and it's like, oh, this is you revel in it a little bit more, um, because that was hard, and now you've you've seen the payoff for it, and you know that not many people are going to get to see that. But if everyone's seeing that, um, you know that's not so exciting. So you can see there's an interesting balance there in 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 how to how to reward gamers or or, or whoever's using the software um, in some in some very real way, because uh, it because then it's so meaningful they'll put a picture on their wall of them you know with that with that 
thing that just occurred, you know, because it's it's something that they want to remember. Um, that's that's where it gets interesting, I think. So trying to to find those kind of balances, and um, and if if you can get that right, then that's obviously like a nuclear bomb. Um, you'll get really really high engagement, and people will get addicted to whatever it is you're doing. You see it in certain games. Um, there's a game I play, Clash Royale, on on the iPhone. This thing makes billions and it's made billions and billions and billions of dollars. And you go, but hold on, it's just an iPhone app game. And I probably personally have maybe put about a thousand dollars into it. And and I can't believe it. I, I just don't understand. You know, it's I, I literally am like, this is insane. I keep putting more money in. The balancing is just so so well done that if you need to save time and you just want to get on with it, then spending the money is worth it. it it's become for me a little bit of a running joke. When I talk to um, game designers, I say to them, you know, of all the things you're selling in your game, I'll bet you that the, the top selling is the thing that saves the most time. And they'll just nod because yeah. that's what people are willing to pay for. It, and that's when you see the wallets come out um, is when, when you're going to save time. And, um, and so that analogy of, do you want to walk or do you want to ride is a really good one. Cause, um, you know, yes, you can walk, <laughs> but riding is way, way faster. And, uh, and, and where are games going? Well, the kind of thing I, I was getting interested in was the idea that you would start to create interest. Um, so today, uh, the idea is that you would buy products for yourself. Like I'm going to wear, get this suit of armor, or this horse or this car or whatever. Um, but the concept of of you being able to share those with other people, I thought was getting very interesting, and I, I started giving speeches about that. But the idea they they had examples where in China you would have some some girl who's a real estate agent by day, princess by night, and and at night because she had lots of money, she would have a whole sort of army literally going, are you are you are you logging in? Are you logging in? Because because when she's there they're all riding her horses and wearing her armor and so if you can imagine she's able to assemble a militia of her own that will travel with her and that kind of stuff might sound crazy but you can imagine that becomes quite powerful you know what are you going to do sit in your apartment alone um after a, a day of selling real estate or do you want to be a princess with a whole army waiting to to work with you and so i, I think games have a lot of this, 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 these to me are the sort of nuggets that start to open up whole new spaces and ideas. Um, I thought VR was the same, where if you're sitting in some really lame hotel room, um, and then you can put on a VR helmet and be somewhere else, that's pretty cool. I was, um, I was once sitting in my bed, um, and I put on the the VR headset, and I was at a rave. And there was lasers and confetti falling in the air and the music was pumping. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And then I take off the headset and I'm back in my bedroom and I'm like, I'm going back to the rave. <laughs> right. And so you can see now most people I'd say, I, I have a thing which I call the restaurant test, which is imagine you're sitting in a restaurant um, right now and there's, you know, a hundred people sitting around us look around the room and say how many of those people are going to be going to a rave in VR tonight, right? Yeah. How many? What would you guess? <laughs> Probably zero, right? And and that's the problem. At the moment, yeah. That, that's, that's one way to just sort of give you a, a, a just a, a really quick gauge on, on is this a thing? How many of those people will use Amazon for shopping tonight? Um, quite a few. How many of those people will use Netflix? Quite a few. 
Um, you know, but how many are going to go into VR and do something like that? Probably quite, quite a small amount. So, but these are the kind of things that, that I'm hoping will grow as, as people start to understand the, the potential of that. So if a father and a son are separated and the father's in London and the son is in America, for example, in Australia, um, and they're, they're able to put on their helmets and now be in a fighter together, flying an airplane together. I think that's actually pretty yep. cool. Um, and so, you know, having shared experiences with across impossible distances, um, is, is the kind of stuff that, that again, the game industry can, can, can obviously generate. Um, and I think they'll understand how to make it fun for those people. They do have fishing and things like that today. So you can go fishing and stand beside your father somewhere else. Like, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think that it's gonna, there's a lot of that. That's, this is where I keep going with the game industry is somehow it's always at, at its infancy it's just getting started you know it's it's 40 50 years in at this point and it's it's still just getting started and um yeah and and so you know people are like oh it makes a lot of money but yeah but it's it's not even close to done yet this is uh there's just so much more and i think in a way gaming is is really good value for money if you think about the the the, the cost of a movie or something like that and the, the thousands of hours that you can get out of a really good game um so you know i i i think it's an interesting form of entertainment for sure yeah and i and i and i think i think the market supports what you're saying there right i mean i i i'll go back to my own example for a minute but i you know i mean okay i love my games but i you know during covid and during lockdown um that you know i think well most countries had um we all felt that sense of isolation but to be honest gaming as my other mates would attest to just absolutely saved us through that period because I would go upstairs and yes, I would go and take my little glass of whiskey and I would sit down <laughs> and have a log on and, and you know, put aside whatever game it was. Typically, we're in a free world kind of running around to the space, but me and three mates would join our little posse together and we'd get online and start chatting. And we'd, whether you're sitting around a virtual campfire or you're, you know, riding your horses, driving a car, whatever you're doing, we were, we were in the moment together. And yeah. you quickly moved past the fact that you're looking at a screen. I mean, of course, we all talked about VR being the ultimate um, place that we will land. Um, personally, I'm waiting for the next version to come out, but um, but it's but that will take it to that next level, right? <clears throat> and sharing that common experience, having those conversations felt real. In fact, I could tell you, I mean, the men are nice with. I was in, just in tears, laughing about the stupid things we're doing together, right? Like it, it wasn't necessarily always completing a mission sometimes it was just doing silly stuff hanging out it was virtually hanging out and i thought that's that's got massive application um beyond just playing a game trying to complete a goal or whatever it might be from a from a, a social perspective in our society yeah and it removes all the walls so you can be in different countries you can be you know anywhere at any time and just jump in and join your friends that's a pretty pretty compelling yeah. concept i think and uh you know, if anything, that the problem is it starts to become quite addictive, right? You want to be there more more than where you are right now. That that's the interesting twist to that to that situation. Yeah. But no, I think, um, gosh, the game industry is going to um, continue. I think to to keep enhancing those kind of experiences. And AI is coming at a thousand miles an hour. And AI is going to, ooh, that's going to change things too. Um, I I've always said. 
I'll give you a crazy story. I, I was I used to do a lot of game industry speeches, and one of them that I I I used to show a picture I took from a, a popular science magazine, and it was um, a row of of chainsaws, and and I said, you know, ha have you ever looked at the chainsaw industry? I mean, this is this is embarrassing at this point. They're all exactly the same. I mean, they're not. Everyone's just copying each other and just changing the plastic color, or you know, it's it's or put a different logo on the same thing. But they're all the same. And and so there's this row of different brands, and I'm like, they're all the same. And then I was like, is the video game industry getting like that? And so I started to look at screenshots of first person shooters, and I would say to the press. Can you tell me which first-person shooter this is? And they'd be like, I don't know. And, and, and what about this one? I don't know. What about this one? Uh, don't know. And then I was like, well, let me do it with soccer games. And I started pulling up the, the soccer games, and it was the same thing. It was all starting to get similar um, because we're we're closing in on reality. And as we get closer to reality, the stuff all starts to look the same, and that's terrible. And so for me, there's this moment when you push through that into into um you know unlocked creativity creating new worlds um where um where you're, the, the the job isn't just to sort of simulate what we've currently got but it's that james cameron thing where james cameron can just say let's just go to another world <laughs> you know <laughs> we're gonna go hunt aliens today but we're gonna go and do it in a whole new way or we're gonna do it uh you know um you know an avatar is another example and so I think there's a really interesting challenge coming for game designers is can you take this from just copying the real world into taking us somewhere we've never been before? And of course, some game designers already do this. Um, but I think um, as the as the hardware and the, 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 the 3D gets better and better and better and the characters get more real and then you add AI, because the thing I've been asking for for years is speech cognition, um, which is when you can speak and the characters can understand what you're saying. I think that's going to be yes. so that they speak so you can speak to them and then and then speech generation where they can actually speak back to you. Some of the games and and you'll I'm I'm sure agree. You've seen some games where you walk into town and someone says welcome to town traveler and then you just shoot everyone in town and then they're like welcome <laughs> welcome to town traveler, right? It's just it's completely yeah, yeah. stupid, right? There's some really dumb characters in games and um and that has to change. And so what it does is it allows you to start thinking about, um, you know, what it means to enter into a space where people understand what's going on. So all the NPCs are smart and uh, there's rumors and they've heard of you and, you know, you're notorious for something and people are reacting correctly, um, you know, and, and, and they'll be much harder because the games will actually be playing against you versus just how many games have you played where there's someone hiding behind a box just waiting and they're not allowed to move? That's they've been placed there, right? That that yeah. that, that will change. Um, and so when with voice control, you'll be able to to manage a lot of different people at once. Another thing that's coming is eye tracking. Eye tracking is something that I think is exciting for games because when you, I, I've I've done tests with it, and when you can look at something and and fire, for example, or react. Um, the speed at which your eyes move uh, is way better than move the cursor up, move the cursor to the right, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, you need to be able to move at about the same speed as your brain can handle it. And, um, and our, our speech and our, um, our eyes are really fast. And so you'll see, 
you know, at doing a lot, at coordinating a lot of people, instead of having to draw a circle around all the people you want to do something, you know, if you could just say it and then they do mm-hmm. it, um, you can imagine now you're a commander and you've got a whole bunch of, you got a whole bunch of people following your instructions. Um, these kind of things are going to be um, explored, I think, a lot more as as the AI really kicks in. But I don't know if you've been following GPT-3 or DALI-2, um, but some of these these technologies are just remarkable. Um, DALI-2 can actually generate images that you've never seen before just based on describing them. Um, so, wow. you know, you could say Kermit eating an ice cream on the moon and it'll just go, here you go. And it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you know, know, it doesn't, it, it can just do it. So this is all coming. It's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I think, you know, I've always sort of believed, maybe I got this from Star Trek or something back in the day, but I, I've always believed that what we can imagine from a te- technological perspective, we will one day be able to build. And I think, you know, VR is probably, I don't know, pro- I think 20 years behind where I thought it would be by now, to be honest, because I, I still remember back in the 90s putting a headset on. I was in a uh, in a nightclub of all places doing this, you know, and the graphics weren't great, of course, but but the concept was amazing and you were instantly in this different space. And, um, you know, so I think I think there's probably, I don't know, I think there's maybe an acceleration happening here. But um, well, one of the things I was curious to ask you is is just this crossover into the real world. Um, I, I was involved in a little tech startup. They built some apps that was really the, the the purpose of this app. It was all about gaming and it was about sports gaming in particular. Um, it was about how to bridge the gap between the real world, you know, going to a soccer game or a football game, whatever it might be, and and being able to do things online and play and it's live and it's interactive almost. And this particular app was about um you know, you could pick certain players and it's a bit like fantasy sports, but more evolved than that. And so what was happening on the field was impacting you in the game and um, playing against other people and all the rest of it. And I think the the most of the sports clubs that we met with loved the idea because most of them really had no idea how to bridge the gap between reality and digital. And and how do we, they knew, they, they kind of knew broadly that this was a, something they needed to evolve, but didn't know how to do it. And so I just I'm curious, are you seeing much around this kind of, you know, how to bridge that gap and, and how that can be possibly applied to other businesses outside of sport? Yeah, um I it was like many, many years ago I filed a patent to try to for the idea that that um someday racing cars would have GPSs uh in them that could transmit directly to the game. So you could then be on the track with the people on TV. So you're watching you know, a Formula One race on TV and your car is in that race and everyone's exactly where they are in the race. And you just have to see if you can beat them. Now, obviously there's a problem here and, and the problem, the elephant in the room is the idea of, um, you can't, if I, if I swerve across someone's path in the game, they're not going to do it in the real world. And so this disconnect between the, the game, you know, you should be able to mess up the real world. Like if I'm playing football or 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 soccer um as in the uk um but if i'm playing soccer i should be able to like trip somebody or something like that and if it doesn't happen in the real world then it's not real if you know what i mean so this is the this is the the problem between bridging reality and and the game for complete freedom in the game um you want to be able to just just play in the game so ultimately what we'd really like to see happen is there is 
you know, Formula One racing with enormous prizes and massive sponsorships and really rich gamers that that play um, because it's so fun to watch. But then we can start to offer things in the game that might not be possible in the real world. In the real world, they're constantly, you know, changing the rules to try to stop people going too fast or too dangerous or too, you know, they're going to kill some people. Um, it, you don't have to have those limitations in the game. And so, um, in a way, the thing that's shocking to me, honestly, the thing that is the most shocking is just how we we somehow have not been good at coming up with new sports. Um, you know, it's not, it's really quite surprising to me. Um, if you think about it, like what is a sport? It's, it's, it's a ball or a bat or something with, a, with some rules attached. Wouldn't we be great at that, you know, in the game industry? Can't we come up with those all day long? Um, and, you know, no one's really, I mean, I'm not going to say no one because there's always an example somewhere, but um, it's, I'm, I'm waiting to find that Super Bowl style experience i mean you could argue it's Fortnite or something like that but it's not i don't really I, i'm i'm thinking there's probably a sport that could be something that that bridges gaming and you could maybe even do it to some extent in the real world too but in, i'd like to see some some new sports get invented i mean like you know the closest thing we've seen is freaking quidditch from harry potter <laughs> right that's probably the closest i actually thought to myself when i was reading harry potter you know J, jk rowling good job at least you give it a go right and there's people running yeah. around google campuses on quidditch uh, fields playing with broomsticks so it actually they got it they got it done you know it actually turned into um some sports that people play but you can see the potential there it'd be fun to see that happen someday yeah for sure for sure um hey i'm cognizant of time but i'd like to shift gear if we can a little bit and just i i'm curious to know a little bit about um some of the the deals you've done in this space it's Obviously, you've been very successful in the creation of games, but you've you know you have actually built some companies. You have exited very very successfully, and um, I know one of those is Gaikai. I, I, can we unpack that a little bit? I'd love to know a little bit more about that journey and and the journey of the business and how you ultimately exited. So what happened was I gave a speech actually at a conference. Um, there's a thing called the Dice Conference, and it's it's really I think one of the most interesting game industry conferences because. Um, it's quite small and very focused. And I gave a speech there um, about what I thought the future would would have, which is games played from the cloud. And I tried to explain the limitations and problems and all the rest of it. Um, and then I thought, well, damn, if I'm going to be presenting this, I'm going to patent it before I do it. So I patented it, and then and then um, and then I went ahead and gave the speech and. Some engineers from um, the Netherlands reached out to me and said, "Actually, we're working on on you know an, this idea of of they were thinking of making arcade machines that you could play um, on on any device, so streaming very simple like Space Invaders and things like that." Um, and but they had actually got some games working like Mario and stuff like that that you could actually stream. And so you can imagine, I'm in America going, "Wait, what? Like this is." this is going to be really hard, uh, you know, having, you know, can I try this? And they sent me a link and I was playing Mario Kart in the U S from a server in the Netherlands. And, uh, you can imagine it was really slow and everything, but I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is real. We can do this. So that, that I actually left the company I was with and started a company with these two guys. 
and um, and we started building the technology. And that's part of the trick, I think, is to sort of look down the track in whatever industry you're in and say, where is this going? And where do you think it's going to go? And I believe if everything is streaming, games have to stream. Like if all mu movies, music, books, um, audio, at some point I'm expecting games are going to join them. And so um, I ended up working with these guys and we ended up building this technology from the ground up, which is, you know, with the, I, I built the first U.S. servers on my dining room table. Took them, I drove up to, to uh, just south of Los Angeles and put them into a rack. And off we go. And, um, and, and, you know, as we spread out across the U S it allows us, allowed us to start doing demonstrations of this capability. But at the end of the day, um, I can't see a future now where that won't be the best way to game. And it, and it causes gamers to, to, to freak out if I say that out loud. So I apologize to all gamers listening. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you why the reason is, is because today we buy consoles based upon what we can afford as a as a group. So the price of a console is set usually, let's call it $500, just as an example number. Um, that Then everything just has to be built to that spec because a lot of people have to buy this console and the cheaper, the better. And, and, and yet you as a gamer, is that, do you want the $500 experience or the $5,000 experience? If we put it in the cloud, it can be $5,000. And so that's, that's the point um, when games get made for the $5,000 version in the cloud, the games, you will not be able to play those games at home. You know, there's just no chance in, in which case um, I think it's really up to just waiting for that watershed moment when that game gets made. And I was talking to the head of Xbox. Um, I was at a party and he was there and I, and I got really excited because they have flight. They had at the time flight simulator was coming. And I was like, this is it. It's like a petabyte of data, right? Um, are you going to download a petabyte of data? No. So therefore, this is it. It's going to be Flight Simulator. And then it, out it comes. And the damn thing is it got a huge download, a ridiculously large download. And there you are. You're downloading the, these maps to your, to your PC. And so I know that I, I believe, I haven't played the streaming version, but I believe there is one. Um, but ultimately, you can see these are the kind of of experiences that not having to download anything never having to update anything always having the max deluxe everything in the game instantly is really what cloud gaming is going to deliver and so we were building this company and i was going around trying to raise money for it and the people who understood gaming were like take my money um the people <laughs> who like I, I a funny one was intel capital we we actually did a a, a demonstration um, I think I, I'm trying to remember which it was. Was it? It was either World of Warcraft or Call of Duty. But I think I think we may have shown them Call of Duty streaming in a browser from a cloud from the cloud. And and I'm 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 sitting there going, oh, they're going to be blown away by this. And and it was a bunch of older people, and they were kind of like, it's just a game. What the hell, you know? And, and we're like, this is Call of yeah. Duty running from the cloud. This is not. This is in a web browser, right? And uh, and they uh they just weren't that impressed and then i showed them powerpoint the real powerpoint not Go not google uh google slides actual powerpoint running from servers in the cloud and they just couldn't believe it they were so blown away by that they were like this is going to change everything and so <laughs> i thought that was hilarious and they invested and so this is really the um 
this is just the process you go through when you meet different investors. They all have different things. Um, uh, one one thing I like to remind everybody is that investors aren't actually their goal isn't to take any risk with investing. So just to be very clear on that, they're not their job. A lot of people think investors just you know um, just take bets everywhere and just throw money around and see what happens. Um, I mean, I, it's incredible, and and that's exactly the opposite of what investors do. It's their job to protect money and make money, and um, and so that that's the important piece of it is whatever you're going to present to them, you want to make it so it's as close to risk free as possible. The analogy I use: I was once at a conference on a panel with a bunch of investors. And, and, um, and I said to them, I know what you guys want. And, um, and they were like, you know, what's that? And, and I said, uh, uh, what you want us to do, it's like the, it's like the gold industry. You want us to do the prospecting and find the gold seam in the ground and be certain we found it. And then you bring in the heavy machinery and come and pull that gold out of the ground. And that that's, that's actually, they all nodded. That's exactly what investors want to do is they want you to do the work of going and finding the gold and then they'll help you get that gold out of the ground. And before anyone else even knows there is gold there, that's, that's the business they're in. And so that helps a lot when you're thinking about, um, um, you know, presenting to investors and whatever, whatever you're going to, to, to be building. And, uh, in this case, Cloud gaming suddenly became cloud everything. We could do Photoshop. We did a deal with uh, Adobe to stream Photoshop. So you could literally on adobe.com just be using Photoshop instantly um, and things like that. In the future, it's going to be um, when you're, you know what's going to happen in the future is you're going to see, um, you're playing, you're watching a YouTube video of a new game and you click a button, you're in the game. You don't leave YouTube, you're still in the same browser. Uh, you'll see it everywhere. Um, at some point, it will be in the search results. That was something we we fought hard for. Was you know I search for something and then there it is and now I'm playing it um, instantly. Um, that that's where it's going and uh, that's going to be really great for people who know games because they're going to say oh let's check out such and such and be able to just search for it and play it instantly is going to be a pretty phenomenal um, thing. But it's it's still not quite there. Um, I think. Uh, uh, PlayStation now is probably the best example of this service, and and that's what we ended up. We got acquired by by um, by PlayStation, and a funny story there is we had our company was called Gaikai, which is a Japanese word, and I, I thought that was pretty much a terrible name because everyone pronounces it wrong, and and my partner, uh, um, or one of my uh, co-founders, was uh, just in love with it, so it wasn't negotiable. He loved it. Um, and we ended up naming everything in the company with the Japanese name. So all our servers, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then along comes a Japanese company and buys us and they think we did it. <laughs> they love that. They found a company that really cares about their culture. And isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I remember at the time just kind of laughing, just going, can you believe this? Like, this is how, how fortunate are we that we chose to go that path? And, um, and so ultimately that that turned out to be really good and and sony uh sony acquired us for just just shy of 400 million dollars which was a, you know at the time a good deal um strategically for us it was really important to get the playstation library so i think the, the playstation game library is incredible um microsoft at the time was 
was very much interested in, in what they were going to do um, in, in cloud gaming and they hadn't got, quite got their path clear. And I don't think Nintendo was interested at all. They have just no interest in this. Um, uh, they were still at the time working hard on building their own uh, digital store and getting that um, fully going. So this whole cloud gaming thing just wasn't, I talked to them, they just weren't interested. Um, and so net net um, uh, PlayStation have ended up building a pretty incredible service and, and they have an enormous amount of games available now that can stream. And, um, and so that's an interesting point is when your company gets acquired, it's quite common that the acquirer doesn't do a great job and that, you know, you see this all the time, companies getting acquired and then everyone just disappears and the whole thing collapses. That's not what happened with us. I think PlayStation did an incredible job. Um, they managed to retain um, an awful lot of the people. Some of the interesting ones that, that were part of the deals so that were um, in our company. Um, one was uh, Brendan Arib, who was the CEO of, of Oculus VR. So he, he basically left um, our company after the acquisition and went and built um, you know, Oculus VR. So there's some pretty interesting folks were part of our team. Um, and uh, you know, it's gone full circle in my new company. He's now invested into, into our new company. So um, it's kind of fun um, to see how that works. Like people who invest in the game industry end up coming across, even though I've moved over now to e-commerce and what the heck am I doing in e-commerce? Um, I'm from the game business, but e-commerce, the, the thing is that we keep telling everyone how big the game industry, but e-commerce is $5.5 trillion, uh, you know? And, and when you, when you, when you get to, and that's in 2022, when you get a, a, a $5.5 trillion business, then that's an interesting space. And can we do anything in that space? Like, can, who are we to think we can, but why not? Right. That's generally my, my attitude. Let's take a look and see what's going on here. And, and we found an opportunity, which was the idea of helping brands work with other brands and, um, and, and to make that effortless. So if, if two brands install our software, now they can immediately sell each other's products. So, you know, you've got a store that sells bicycles and I make helmets. Do you want to sell my helmets? Um, and it's literally just a case of like a dating site saying yes. And suddenly you see in the past you would have to buy, uh, the bicycle store has to buy helmets and move them around and store them in a warehouse and touch them and insure them and return them when they don't sell and all of that, that, that all goes away. Now you have all the helmets and all the colors and all the sizes instantly. And so this, this seemed to me like, why doesn't this exist? This is, you know, currently people are all buying their clicks from Google and Facebook, which is fine. Um, but um, they're all buying, if you're all in the helmet business, you're all buying the same clicks. To some extent, if, if that, if, if those, if you look at all those brands together, we have over 30,000 brands using our technology now. And when you have all 30,000 together, there's about um, 350 million visitors a month. So if you can get, your helmets into other stores traffic, you get their traffic for free. And so that's, that's a game changer. Uh, if you're in the world of, of, of buying views, you just get their traffic for free forever. And, um, and then when your helmet gets added into someone's store, um, their average order size will go up. And that's actually one of the most important metrics for e-commerce is when, when someone comes to your site, how much do they spend? And um, if you can increase that number, that's a really good news for a brand. And so, yes, we've somehow gone from uh, gaming to uh, uh, you know to e-commerce, but.
but I think we're, we're it's because we're also coming at it from a, a slightly different vector. And you can imagine the the, the data I look at. We have uh, a, a guy who does really great 3D. So I, I look at the data in 3D. We have um, spinning globes and things like that, so you can see the transactions flying around the world, and it's awesome. And that's man, I'm. <laughs> I'm blown away. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear if they're not already reaching out. I'll I'll keep an eye on the press for when Google or Amazon taps you on the shoulder because I could just see them drooling over what you guys are doing. And I mean, not just because it potentially disrupts some of their traditional business, but clearly, wow, this is this is the future for ecom. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. I think it's important because there's two pieces: there's sales and there's attention. So another thing we do is work with um, influencers. Influencers are realizing. Um, if they want to level up, they need to start focusing on customers, not followers. So followers are a beautiful metric. How exciting. I've got lots of followers. Yeah, but how many customers do you have? And they're like, I don't have any customers. I just send all my clicks to other people. And you're like, so you have no customers. And that means you're getting affiliate fees. Why are you getting affiliate fees when you can keep a retailer fee? So if you sell the product, you're finding the customer. And you're convincing them to buy the product, which makes you the retailer. But because you don't have a way to do that, you're now just giving away that that retail sale. You're taking a small percentage in affiliate fee and you don't have any customers. Now, every influencer worth billions, the Kim Kardashians and Rihanna's and people like that, they all have absolutely solved this problem of getting followers to turn into customers. And so you say, well, what percentage of influencers have worked this out and actually achieved it and meaning that they have now got you know huge amounts of customers and i would say it's less than one percent so i think i think you know we're walking into the space going there's less than one percent of these people have actually done this so the opportunity space is is vast and um and we have the technology ready to go so if they want to if, if the influencer wants to to work with a brand just by both installing our software, now they they instantly have their products, and that means that to me it's a bit of a land grab for the brands to get their products into an influencer store. Some of the influencers we have twenty plus million followers, and so um, um, what's crazy is that if you were to pay them to post about your product, it would cost a lot of money. But if you put their your product in their store, um, every time they post and send traffic to their store, you get that traffic for free forever. And that's that's a pretty exciting thing. So there's two pieces to this. There's attention, and then there's just trying to get additional sales. But the 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 attention piece, I think, is kind of funny because you'll never meet a brand that's like, please, no more attention. Like we're good on attention. They can. It's insatiable. The 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 desire for attention has what is created Facebook and Google and Twitter um, is is the controlling of attention. And so um, I think influencers are. are the value um, there is potentially huge. And that's that leads to a whole conversation which we could have about social commerce, which I think is is going to change things too. But we're just trying to line them up and get them ready for that. Yeah, wow. It's uh it's a brand new world and it's moving fast. It's um it is hard to uh I think just as a business owner myself, it is hard to keep up with some of the some of the way things are evolving, the way people transact, the way people think and make decisions. It's um it is fascinating. David, I could talk to you about this all day, um, but obviously I, I know we've, we've probably run out of time today and uh, and you've, I imagine, got a lot of things to do. So um, before I, I'd like to put you on the spot in a second, maybe ask you if there's one parting 
uh, piece of wisdom, a tip, a bit of you know advice that you'd share with other business owners, perhaps who are on their journey. But before I do that, I mean, um, where's the best place to people for people to find out more information about you and and certainly um, about your business, um, Caro? Yeah, so Caro, the website is getcaro.com. So get c a r r o dot com. Um, if you know anyone with a Shopify store, please tell them. Um, and um, if they email hello at getcaro.com um, and and mention this podcast, we will take really good care of them. So make sure that they 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 reach out to us so we know that. Um, but yeah, that's that would be the, the main thing. And you'll find me on places like LinkedIn. Um, my uh, my name on LinkedIn is D Perry, so D P E R R Y. There's about a million David Perrys for some crazy reason, um, uh, um, and so uh, you'll never find me that way. <laughs> so just look for it. It's like yeah, a, cool. you need to in slash D Perry. You'll find me. Yeah, awesome. And I notice you're on Twitter and everything else. So what what we'll do is we'll grab your links. We'll we'll throw them in the show notes there so people can get to you quickly. Um, you know, as we always say on the show, you know, if you do reach out via LinkedIn. All those other sources, yeah, maybe mention the podcast so David at least understands, you know, where you're coming from. Um, you know, we're not uh, we're not robots here. So, um, David, thank you once again. Um, really appreciate your generosity. You've shared so many sort of insights, your story. I, I know people get a lot of value from this. Um, you know, before we before we leave, is there is there one parting piece of advice or a tip that you'd give to to other business owners? I got a couple, which is uh, one really quick one is um, I always think that hiring someone to help is going to take too much work to bring them up to speed or whatever. So I'll just do it myself. That's a terrible strategy. So don't do that. Um, uh, I, I was the CEO and I didn't have a COO. And, you know, my board was like, you need a COO. And, and I and I was like, ah, we'll see. And then we finally hired one life-changing life-changing um because they actually care about the stuff that that you don't really give the bandwidth to so you know when you get a building lease or a contract with somebody or whatever they're they're all over it like a rash and um and yet with um you know with me i'll be like oh this is like this is my kryptonite right sitting in this stuff and so you know hire um, um people when you can to support you so that you can focus on the stuff you need to do and then the second thing, um, which I talk about a lot is with every new employee we hire, is um, we're allergic to people that, that point at hurdles. So that would be the other one to avoid like the plague. Um, you've been in meetings, I guarantee it, with people that keep telling you why there's a problem and you can't move forward. And if only this problem wasn't there, but it's stopping us. Um, and then you'll meet some people who somehow just get a lot of stuff done. And 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 they're they're jumping hurdles continuously and you find out later like wow that was really hard you know what you got that done and that's those people are i call them 10xers they're about 10 times a normal um head or hurdle pointer so um some of our employees will even say we're kicking the hurdles out of the way which i i like that that's even even cooler than jumping them is just boot them out of the way i got to get on with this um so those so what i'm saying is if if you're if you're if you have people that are are like an anchor around you that that make it really hard to make progress because there's just constantly a, a reason why you can't move forward, you gotta you gotta get rid of those people and you gotta find um, people that are those ten xers. It turns out you don't need many; you just need a few. But everything changes when you get to work with those people. Even your own attitude of what's possible and when and all it, it all changes. 
Um, and so hunt those people down and uh, and get them on your team, and uh, and everything changes. You you'll start moving incredibly fast. So that would probably yeah. be um, that would be an important piece of advice. Awesome. And awesome advice it is. Look, look for the game changers and look for the people that can push you as well. I think that's brilliant. David, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you and uh, look, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for inviting me. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder Questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.